Well, welcome to Crossroads Live. My name is Matt Manning, and I am the senior pastor here at Crossroads Church. And I have the privilege today of opening God's word with you as we wrap up our series called Ask Anything. If you're new to Crossroads and you've never experienced Ask Anything, let me just take a moment to explain what this is all about. That one of the things that we realize in this uh, world is that every single one of us have questions about faith, about spirituality, about things of the Bible, about what God thinks or may not think about certain things that are going on in the world. That every single one of us has questions about that kind of stuff. And a few years ago, uh, we sat down actually thinking about some of those questions and actually started a sermon series called Ask Anything that started and became actually one of the most popular Bible or uh, series that we do here at Crossroads Church, where we simply open up a text line and allow you to ask whatever question you have. And then we take a couple of weeks to answer those questions in a way that goes to the Bible in a way to uh, hopefully answer the question well for you. And so uh, as when it comes to Ask Anything 2020, I just got to say, I am amazed, really blown away about how much engagement you've shown in this series. I mean, we have pages upon pages upon pages of questions that you have asked. And As we look at all of the questions, there is no way that we could answer them in just a couple of weeks. Even though we're taking a couple of questions every week. I mean, there's so many questions. We'd never get to all of them. And yet I want to. And so here's what we're going to do. If you've asked a question and it hasn't been answered yet, Pastor Jared and I uh, this summer actually started a podcast. And when I say started a podcast, I actually mean he talked me into doing one. And when he talked me into doing one, I said, you know what? I don't think anybody's going to listen to this. And I am amazed at how many people download this and listen to us uh, week after week. Every two weeks we record one. Uh, we drop it in your favorite place, whether that be Apple, iTunes, or Spotify, wherever you get your podcast, you can subscribe. And we do this every couple of weeks. In fact, last week uh, we just dropped one with Pastor Chris where we had a conversation about fear and care and what does it look like to care in this season well, whether that be individually or at our church as we kind of navigate COVID-19. And so Jared and I were talking last week and we decided that we were going to start and ask anything segment. And what we're going to do is we're going to take the 100 plus questions that we're not actually going to get to and answer them kind of one at a time, week after week in our podcast. And so if you had and submitted a question to us and it didn't get answered, fear not. You can subscribe to the podcast and we're going to just kind of methodically go through and answer the questions uh, every week as we gather together on that podcast. Now, with all of that said, just as a reminder as we get going in today, the reason that we do this series, the reason that we ask you to send in questions the reason that you're really the driver behind this series is not simply for us to answer questions for answering questions' sake. That's not why we do this series. That the reason that we do this series is that we realize that there are a lot of hard questions in life. And we just believe here at Crossroads that a lot of those hard questions have really good answers when it comes to the Bible. And so if you're a believer, the reason that we do this series is that hopefully, in part, we're empowering you and teaching you to think from a biblical worldview. That when one of those hard questions comes your way, that you would first think, does the Bible answer this question, maybe specifically or generally, that that would be the first place that you go when the hard questions of life come your way. Now, if you're an unbeliever, the reason that we do this series, and my prayer ultimately throughout this series has been, that as we answer these questions, that, that they would help you see what we're all about as individuals, as a church, and that ultimately, just maybe, it would help you take a step closer to the God who ultimately loves you a whole bunch. All right? So, 
Last week, Pastor uh, Tim answered three questions. This week, we have four on the docket. And so we're going to get right to it. Question number one. Why does Matt's voice sound like he is from the chipmunks? <laughs> All right. Well, the answer to that question is because my kids will think this is hilarious. And, and we were playing with our sound system, and we found this tool that has zero practical application, and I just wanted to use it once, all right? So that's, that's why we're doing what we're doing. All right, all right. So there's the fun. Real question number one. Here we go. What about people who don't believe in Jesus? You hear of accounts of true miracles, unexplained through nothing else but God's grace. Is the Spirit attempting to move these people toward loving God? Well, we start this week of Ask Anything with a question about miracles, really the supernatural. That every single one of us, whether you're a believer or not, have had these moments of, of what we would describe as a miracle, where, where there was supernatural, unexplainable events happen in our lives. Every single one of us has had an experience like that. We call these miracles. And so what I want to do in answering this question is first start with what is a miracle, defining a miracle, and then getting to and answering the question, why does God do them? Why do miracles happen? And so when it comes to the definition of miracle, the simplest way that I can put it, the simplest way that I can define it is that a miracle is an event that happens in our hearts, in our minds, in our bodies, in nature, in the world that would not have come about if God had not supernaturally intervened in the ordinary processes of natural cause and effect. Let me say that again for you. That a miracle, very simply put, is an event that happens in our, in our head, in our hearts, in our bodies, out in the world where God supernaturally intervenes into everyday life. Now, look, when I define that, I realize that, that there's a part of us that goes, God uh, supernaturally intervening into the course of everyday life. When I define it like that, what I'm not doing is denying that in this world is in fact God at work. That God is at work everywhere. That when we read the creation account, we see that, that God ordered everything. That he sustains and maintains everything. That everything in this world is guided by God. That God is at work. He's always at work. And when we read the creation account, we see that when God put creation into place, he actually set it up with rules, simple rules that, that govern the way that we live. In fact, like gravity is one of those rules, that if I was to take my Bible and to drop it, it would fall. That's gravity. That's one of the rules that God has set up for us on this earth. When he supersedes those rules, that's what we call a miracle. Now, that definition means that miracles can show up in, in different ways. And some of those ways are very obvious to us. Others' ways are, are less so for us. But when you and I think of miracles, oftentimes we think of miracles like in this sense. When there's someone that we know who has cancer, and then suddenly, because of no like, medical intervention or natural causes, that they go into the doctor and the cancer's just gone. We look at that and we say, well, well that's a miracle. That when my sister miraculously walked out of the hospital after a surgery that should have ended her life, her unbelieving doctor pulled my dad to the side and said, Mike, I wish that I could take credit for this, but I can't. Someone higher at work than me is at this. That this is a miracle. That we all have stories like this, don't we? Or know of someone who has a story like this in their life where, where something unexplainable, something miraculous, something supernatural happened in their life. 
When it comes to the Bible, we have classic stories like Moses parting the Red Sea. We have in Jesus' life where Jesus takes this little boy's Captain America lunchbox, right? And he feeds 5,000 people with it. Like, Like those are miracles. But there's also this understanding in Scripture that when someone comes to know Jesus, the Bible calls that a miracle. It classifies it as a miracle. And the reason that, that the Bible classifies the coming to faith as a miracle is because for us, in our human minds, that we would never be able to come to faith without the supernatural sovereign grace of, grace of God raising us spiritually from the dead and giving us new eyes to see and a new heart to love and to embrace the beauty of Jesus. That the Bible says that that's a miracle. And so when we step back, we see that miracles are happening all around us all the time. That miracles are going on. That that God is at work. And for some, they're obvious. and, And for others, they're not as obvious. But miracles are happening. So now that that's kind of the definition that we're working from, then the question becomes, why does God do it? Why does God do miracles? Why, what's his goal? What's his aim? Why does he like supernaturally intervene into the created order, into everyday life? What is the point of miracles? Well, I think the answer for us is actually found in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. If you're unfamiliar with the Bible, when it comes to 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul is, is writing to the Corinthian church. And in chapter 14, it's all about miracles. It's all about the supernatural. In fact, the Apostle Paul is is speaking about these supernatural gifts, these these miraculous gifts that the Spirit of God gives. And as he's talking about these gifts, he he gets to the very end, and his conclusion is that he says that, that God's goal, his aim in all of the supernatural, specifically the gifts, is to let all things be done for the building up. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 26. That Paul says that the goal of miracles is to build up. Now, that's the goal. This building up means being built up in the faith. It means being built up in hope for us as believers. It means being built up in our holiness. In other words, the aim of God's doing miracles, working supernaturally, It's to awaken faith into us. It's to deepen our faith and ultimately to bring glory to him. That's the goal of miracles. That is why God is miracle working in this world. And so the way that I would answer this question is like this. That every miracle that God does, every time he supernaturally kind of imposes himself into the natural order, is to bring both believers and unbelievers closer to him. Which leads me to question number two. Question number two is this. So I was baptized as an infant. I don't get Jesus. Never have. I don't think it's all a crock. I just don't get it. Through Bible studies, praying, retreat weekends, it just doesn't sink in. If I get hit by a bus today, is God going to punish me for all of eternity? Now, I love the honesty of this question. At the heart of the question is the struggle of belief. That struggle of belief is real, and for some, it's it's more so. That this is a real struggle. And I have a sense for whoever asked this question that that's probably the case for you. And so if you're listening out there, what I want to say is, is this first, is that I'm going to encourage you not to actually worry about death yet, but rather to focus on the life that God's given to you. See, at every funeral that I do, and I have an opportunity to do many of them, 
At every funeral, I tell people that this life is given to us so that we might have a heart of wisdom, that we might, that we might be wise in our life. And the reason that I tell people that and, and the place that I get that is out of Psalm 90. That Moses, one of the big daddies of the faith, is at the end of his life, near the end of his life, and he's looking back on all of these years, and he's, he's reflecting, and he's writing. And in Psalm 90, verse 12, his conclusion is this. So teach us, he says, teach us, Lord, to number all of our days so that we might get a heart of wisdom. A wise person is someone who sees what is really there. Are friends there? Is family there? Is God really there? Is Jesus there? Is, is the cross there? A wise person finds out what is really there, and then he builds his entire life around that reality. That God has given you days on this earth not to worry about the end, not to worry about when death is coming, but rather he's given you these days right now so that you might become wise, that you would know what is real, and in doing so, that you would build your life around that reality. So the second thing that I want to tell you, and this may sound a little bit strange in terms of an application of this question, but I want you, or I want to encourage you, to see this struggle as a gift. That you've been given a gift that many people, to their detriment, never realize. That we cannot produce saving faith. Not everybody is given the privilege of realizing that they cannot produce their own faith. You've been given that privilege. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, that for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that this is not a work of yourselves, but actually this is a gift, a gift given to you by God. And you maybe more than most realize that. At least I hope that you do. I hope that you realize that you are absolutely, radically, deeply, powerfully dependent upon God for your faith. And as you ask this question, as, as you make this statement, it seems to me that you believe that it's actually your job to bring about faith. That it's your job to, to finally believe. And so maybe I can relieve you of that burden today. That as we go to the scriptures, we ask the question, are, are you commanded to believe? And the answer is absolutely yes. The next question that follows are, is, are you responsible to believe? Again, the answer is absolutely yes. And yet what also the scriptures teach us is that you can't believe. That you are spiritually dead. And you probably know that more than anyone. And so if you're out there listening today, in fact, I'm going to ask everybody listening today, wherever you're at, if you would just close your eyes for a moment, and today, maybe today, you would hear the Holy Spirit whispering something like this to you. For your entire life, I've tried to make it crystal clear to you that you're dead in your sins, and you can no more spiritually get up than a corpse can get out of a coffin that I'd like to invite you to rest. Stop trying and just rest in me. I did it all for you. I lived my life for you. I went to the cross for you. I died for you. I gave myself for you. Rest in me, trust in me, 
This is a gift. Receive my gift to you today. Father, with eyes closed all around the world as people listen to this, God, I pray for this person and for the many people like this person who struggle with belief. Lord, you've given an amazing gift to them that they realize, Lord, that they cannot save themselves. And so, Lord, for for this person and for all the people just like him, Lord, I pray that today they would stop trying to believe and to simply just rest in you. And, Lord, that as they rest in you, that that you would open their eyes and, and, Lord, that you would awaken their hearts to the faith that you have for them, given by grace, Lord, nothing of themselves but a gift from you. Lord, awaken them to you on this day. We pray for that miracle to happen right now. It's in Jesus' powerful name that I pray. Amen. All right, question number three. Some churches think their church is the one true church. And all the rest are going to hell. Where does this church stand on the subject? Now, when I read this question, what it's probably referring to is Catholic theology where the Roman Catholic Church claims to be the only true church of Christ in virtue of its, of its common faith, apostolic succession, which is priests and bishops, and the Eucharist. And because Protestant churches and pastors like me lack these essential elements, the Catholic Church considers its mass to be the only true celebration and worship to Jesus. Now, all of this revolves around what we call the Lord's Supper. Now, in Catholic theology and Catholic churches, this is called the Eucharist. In Protestant churches like us, we call this communion. But the Catholic Church believes that when a priest prays over the bread and the wine, that it literally becomes the body and blood of Jesus. That's what's called the Eucharist. Now, since Protestant leaders like myself are not priests or bishops, that we're not a part of that apostolic succession and consecrated by the Catholic Church, the belief is that we cannot act in the person of Jesus and truly celebrate communion or the Eucharist because we do not have the authority to do so. Now, practically speaking, this works out in a variety of ways when it comes to the Catholic Church, but this is the basic big understanding of Catholic theology when we come to the term one true church. Now, at Crossroads Church, we believe in what's called the priesthood of all believers. And this doctrine or or this belief means that every believer in Jesus, people who have put their trust in Jesus, share in his priestly function, which is actually a fulfillment of the Old Testament. Therefore, there is no like special class of people when it comes to like priests or, or bishops who mediate the knowledge and the presence and the forgiveness of Christ in the rest of believers. That all believers have the right the responsibility and the authority to read, interpret, and apply the teachings of Scripture to their lives. Now, I could point you to plenty of verses that that help us understand the priesthood of all believers, but I'm just going to give you two. The first one is in 1 Peter 2, verse 9. The disciple Peter writes these words to us. He says, you are a chosen race, a royal, look on your screen, what does it say? A royal priesthood a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies, that is, that we may bring glory to God who called you out of the darkness, that is your sin, 
and brought you into the marvelous light. The second verse is 1 Timothy 2.5, where the Apostle Paul writes these words, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, and his name is Jesus Christ. Now what both of these verses are saying is that we are all priests, that believers are priests, which means that not only are we to minister, but also that the person in the pew has the right and the authority to read, interpret, and apply the teachings of the Bible, which includes what we call the sacraments, baptism and communion. And if you're a believer here at Crossroads, I just want you to know that right now, right now, we have a goal of reaching 1,500 people over the next five years, that we want to see 1,500 people come into faith in Jesus Christ and to be baptized. And right now, we are working on ways to train you and to empower you so that you can baptize people who have come to Jesus, that you can baptize new Christians. So our stance is that when it comes to the one true church, that the one true church is not a single organization, but rather, but rather, it is people who have put their full trust in Jesus and are faithfully walking with him. So we believe anyone who puts their faith in Jesus, who calls Jesus their Lord and Savior, whether that be Catholic or Baptist or Lutheran or Methodist or Charismatic, whatever your stream is, if you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, then you are a part of what Jesus calls the body or the church. Which leads me to our final question. Question number four. In John chapter 14, 6, Jesus said, No one comes to the Father except through me. Why is Jesus the only way to God? This isn't just a good question. This is best question. This is the best question, and I want to thank whoever wrote this. I just want to thank you for asking this question. What I want to do today is I want us to actually look at the verses that this is speaking to. And so if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to John chapter 14. We're going to look at just two verses, John 14, verses 5 and 6. Now, John is one of the four Gospels that we find in the Bible. John was one of Jesus' very best friends when he walked on this earth. Now, when Jesus made this statement in his time, it was a controversial statement. In this time today, it's even more so. Like the controversy hasn't left. And so let me kind of paint the picture for you and give you some perspective of what's going on here. That when Jesus makes this statement, he's actually in a very intimate moment with his disciples. That his disciples have gathered together and they're celebrating what's called Passover. It was this feast that was celebrated for thousands of years in Israel. Probably the closest thing that we have in our culture is Thanksgiving, where families gather together. It's a big celebration of everything that's happening in life. Well, Jesus is celebrating this with his disciples, these guys who had walked with him for three years. For three years that these guys had followed Jesus, they had given their entire lives to him. They're at this meal and they're celebrating together. And during this meal, Jesus looks around the table at his 12 best friends and he says to them, one of you is going to betray me tonight. And almost immediately after he says that, Judas gets up and he walks out of the room. And everybody in that moment is stunned. Like it's a heartbreaking moment in scripture that one of Jesus' very best friends walks out of the room to betray him. And as the minds of the disciples are reeling, Jesus takes this moment and he begins to speak to them about the plan of the cross. And he says, boys, I just need you to know that, that my time has come, that I'm going to die. There's no more talk about it, that, that I'm going to die. 
that I'm on my way to the cross. Now, for these guys, this like blew their minds. That all of a sudden, they're troubled, they're distraught. Because again, for three years, they've given everything to this man. That they actually believe that he's the Messiah that God had promised. That they, that they actually believe that this was the one who was going to deliver the entire world. That he couldn't die. Not like this. Not now. And they're sitting there and they're distraught and they're troubled and they're heartbroken and they're trying to figure all of this out in this moment. And Jesus comes alongside them and he begins to comfort them. And he says, look, don't let your hearts be troubled. That I'm going away and I'm going to prepare a place for you. It's going to be okay. That you know how to get there because I'm, I'm providing the way there. And as he's comforting them then in this moment, Thomas, one of his other best buds, kind of interrupts him and he speaks up and he says, Lord, we do not know where you're going. Like, how can we know the way? And Jesus says to him, I am the way and the truth and the life that no one comes to the Father except through me. That in this moment, Jesus makes a claim that absolutely separates Christianity from all the other major faith religions of the world. That when Jesus walked on this earth, that he claimed to be God, that all other religions of the world have a founder who's ultimately a prophet, who goes, let me help you find God. Yet when Jesus comes into the world, he makes this claim that he is God, and in his coming, he's coming not to help you find God, but as God, he's coming to find you. This isn't just like a small difference. This is a huge difference. Now, the reason why that's important is because Jesus claiming to be God puts him at odds with all the other major religions who just have a prophet, which means that either Jesus is wrong and a liar and bat crazy, or that we have to take him for who he says he is. That either Jesus is way inferior to every world religion out there, or if he is who he says he is, then that makes him superior to every faith religion out there. Now, if you're a believer and you believe that Jesus is actually God and came into this world to find you, then you have to take him at his word. That you have to take him at his word. That he is the only way to God. That if you believe that, that Jesus is God, then God himself is pushing you into a corner in order that you might make a decision with that statement. That you can't have it both ways. You can't believe that Jesus is God and the Son of Man and believe that there's another way. He is either the Son of God or he's bat crazy. That's the only decision that we have when it comes to this. See, what I believe is that Jesus is God. That Jesus came into this world to, to save this world. That because of my sin, because of my sin, it, it created a separation between, between God and me. And that there's no way that I, can, that I can bridge that separation by myself. That there's nothing that I can do. That I'm, that I'm dead. And God up in heaven looked down and said, I love you too much to leave you there. And so Jesus comes down into this world. And he lives a perfect life. And he goes to the cross and he dies for my sin. And in doing so, as I believe in him, that separation closes. And all of a sudden, I'm, I'm reconciled to God through Jesus, where God looks upon me, and he calls me his child. 
He gives me faith. He, he gives me hope. He gives me peace. And he says, I get to be with him forever. See, that's the gospel. And at Crossroads Church, we believe in the gospel. That Jesus is who he says he is. And that he's the only way for us to navigate that divide and become reconciled with God, where God looks upon you and says, you are my child. And so if you're a believer here today, that truth, that statement should not cause you to think of yourself as an elitist, but it should drop you to your knees in thanksgiving. And it should inspire you to go out to meet with every single person that you know and share the good news of Jesus with them. And if you're here today, and maybe this is the first time you've, you've ever come to a church, maybe this is the first time that you've really ever heard about Jesus. And in this moment, God has pushed you into a corner. And he says, you have to decide. You can't have it both ways. Either my son Jesus is who he says he is, or he's back crazy. It's for you to decide. If you're ready to take that journey, if you're ready to begin to find out more about Jesus, we have one, or one of two ways that you can do that today. The first way is on our online platform. There's just a little button that you can push that says, I believe. When you push that, it'll take you to a place where you can find out more about Jesus. The second way is that you can simply text the word Jesus to 720-513-1933. We have people waiting there to have that conversation with you and to begin this journey of discovering who Jesus is. Would you all pray with me? Father, Lord, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you that you don't shy away from the hard questions. We thank you, Lord, that you come to us right where we're at. And Lord, as we think of this final question of, of the controversial statement that Jesus made, that he's the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to you but through him. Lord, you yourself put us in a corner where we have to decide. And so God, I pray, Lord, for the souls out there that you're whispering this to them today. Lord, I pray that you would awaken their spirit. Lord, that you would awaken their faith and that they would see you and that their eyes would be opened and their hearts, Lord, would fall in love with you. God, that's my prayer. Lord, for those of us who do believe, God, I pray that the truth of your word would, would humbly allow us to bow our heads and worship to you, saying thank you, thank you, thank you. God, you are so good. We give you thanks. We pray this in your son's name, the name of Jesus. Amen.